This is The Antidote on 92.7 FM. Hey, Peterborough. Lots of conversation and music tonight as The Antidote meets with the founder of the cult favorite, Tantrum of the Muse, and his new project, Unteachers. I'm not going to waste any time, so let's head right into our conversation with Stephen Sarrow. Stephen Sarrow is here with The Antidote to talk about two of his musical projects, Tantrum of the Muse and his new band, Unteachers. Stephen, great to have you on The Antidote. Thank you for having me. I'm really interested in hearing about your original band, Tantrum of the Muse. How did it come to be? Uh, well, um, we were fresh out of high school. Um, it was myself and my one of my best friends, Rick. And we just we had played in punk bands and stuff for a few years, and we just got kind of I don't know angrier. <laughs> we kind of <laughs> we just sort of were getting you know we were Christian kids. We grew up with um, of the Christian culture that we kind of wanted to remove ourselves from, and uh, we were exposed to just tons of music, and we just found ourselves in this weird place where we were, we were discovering secular music a lot. We were coming from Christian music, and we. We're discovering all these other bands that were just flooring us and just blowing our minds. It was like we were sponges and just soaking up a lot of art and music. And it was kind of like a reaction to like being in a Christian sort of environment that was things that we just didn't didn't make sense to us. And it was kind of like in between like like losing your not losing your faith, but losing like an identity in that and then later discovering it and in between like what does that look like? And that was kind of like the band for us. We just we, were, we had this anger in us, and we felt like we needed to just be punks and just be, like, angry kids and sort of be, like, the bad kids of Christian music, you know? <laughs> like, we wanted to be, like, the kind of, like, the make-you-feel-uncomfortable kind of band. And that it came from a lot of immaturity and ignorance and a lot of just trying to figure out, like, where you come from and what your identity is. So I think that was, like, a big part of it. And, and uh, you know, ultimately the music influences and... We were discovering a lot of bands like uh, Early Today is the Day, Shudder to Think, a lot of like Discord Records stuff, and we were just like exploding with like ideas, and that's just kind of what happened. And while we were making the first album, we we met Jim, and uh, he wasn't on the album, but he immediately made the band better when we played live. So that's kind of happened. Me and Rick kind of just made that album ourselves, and like a record label had thrown like seven hundred dollars at a guy that recorded for us and we just went in there with chainsaws and all kinds of weird things to hit and strum and just that's what what kind of came out was that first album come on let's go run around and do things set to popular music
But I mean, Tantra and the Muse really didn't fit into any typical slot in the music spectrum. So you've got to describe the style of your music. Well, oh man, it's hard to say. I mean, I think we were just, like I said, we were just picking up on like um, different kinds of bands and we were just trying to like cram it all in. I think a lot of people hear the tantrum stuff and they're like, man, this is like, you know, so clever and smart and, you know, progressive and everything. But I think we were really bad at playing music. <laughs> but, but like, we, we were really good at doing the songs live, doing them in a way that was like really intense and loud. And like the, the CDs we put out don't even cut what it was like to see us live. Like, if you ask anyone who's seen Tantrum and the Muse live, like, that's kind of like the real experience. Like, we were kind of like a sort of a live thing and we were good at that but none of us really were professionals at anything like you know like i could barely play the guitar and rick is amazing at drums and jim was amazing at bass but we were just scrapping our equipment together and duct taping stuff and i think it was the music came from just being so inspired by so many different bands but not having the the grace of learning them throughout your 20 years of life that you're alive at the time just sort of discovering them all within like two years and just being kind of overwhelmed by it that was kind of the sound i think now i describe your style as marginally controlled chaos (laughs) any accuracy there (laughs) controlled in the sense that we got really tight (laughs) and playing (laughs) We we got so tight that Rick would just fill every second with drum rolls and drum fills, and and then I would get used to him doing that, and I would start doing things on the guitar to accent his fills, and we were just literally bouncing that off of each other, and and, and Jim also, and, and to the point where it was like the songs they were played twice as fast because Rick actually broke off from us to play with the Huntington's. Oh yeah, and when he. When he learned the Huntington songs, everything was in those, uh, yeah, what are they, the 16 notes or whatever with the mm-hmm. with the hi-hats constantly doing that for you know a two-hour concert or whatever. So he came back and everything was like Huntington speed. He took like our kind of slower, wacky kind of songs and then he just played them twice as fast. <laughs> we got so tight with this that we just, the songs couldn't breathe anymore. They were just filled with playing.
Now, you brought up the point earlier about throwing stones in churches, but Tantrum and the Muse, they were throwing some stones. Because you guys had some criticism of Christianity or some of the Christian norms. Yeah. I mean, we're so different now. Every time I talk about the Tantrum lyrics, the Tantrum confrontational uh, attitude we had or the reputation, I have to preface it with the fact that we're just so different now that I think we were more impressed with ourselves then than we are with you know ourselves then now. You know what I mean? Looking back on it and going, like, uh, we kind of cringe sometimes some of the things. And I sometimes wonder if I helped kind of create the de-churched attitude that happens now with a lot of kids where you talk to them and they're kind of – they think it's okay now to not go to church or to be angry at the church. Um, I th- I'm proud of what we've done with Tantrum and the News. I'm really proud of the lyrics because it was honest and it was really a reflection of stuff we were going through and like just sort of like discovering what – was wrong with some of the things we believed before we discovered really what was right about it. And like, it was just a response, I think to that. And, um, I'm not, a, I'm not happy with some of the things I've written about, but, but then again, there are songs that still hold up lyrically and I'm still really proud of them. And sometimes I'll, I listen to the albums and I'll say, you know, it's really what, what it really uh, impresses me or holds up for me now. Most of all is the fact that I was 18, 19, 20, when I wrote this and I was like, this is kind of heavy stuff for, for that age group. And sometimes that kind of holds up more for me now, but I certainly would like fans of the band to know that don't rest in the misery. (laughs) It's okay to fall apart and to like lose yourself and to not know where you fit into the church and all that, but it's really important to find your destination and to get to a place where you do find the community in church and, and get connected again. And I would hate if people thought the Tantrum and Muse was only about what's wrong with church and, and Christian culture in America and all that stuff. But it's still fair for us as Christians to point out some of the flaws in our own oh, Christianese, yeah. our own church organization. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and, and that's kind of the balance. I, th- I think we, we were riding a balance of searching in a, in a holy and good reason, but being really mad and really let down. It's like, you know, you grow up feeling like none of this is making any sense, but I know Christ is king. I know he's still on his throne. So what does that look like for me? I felt like a broken Christian. I felt like if, if all of this, you know, you have enough faith, you don't have enough faith, all that stuff is true, then I'm a broken Christian because I don't hear what I'm supposed to hear. I don't feel what I'm supposed to feel. But I have this other side of me that feels something different and it's not being confirmed, you know? And so I thought, well, this is it then. This is not for me. And I couldn't let go, yet I couldn't stay. And so we were just in a gap. And I think, like you said, it's it's good to be honest about that and good to express some anger and, and all. But I, I think it was important also to try to like to keep moving and to find a place of peace. And, and, you know, I have a lot of anger in me. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of anger in me and, and it's on the new album too, but it's, I think it's just focused a little differently. Even with you standing out from the crowd, I mean, you know, I guess you did find a label that understood you. Cause I mean, take hold records signed Tantra the Muse for your <laughs> first album, yeah. which had the uh, heartwarming <laughs> name. The heart is a two headed sperm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't know where my brain was. 
you know, to make a joke, but to not make a joke, you know, during that writing of that album, I was on narcotic drugs when I was <laughs> working on those songs. I think some of it was just this medication they give kids in schools. It does something to your brain, and it makes you unhealthy, and it makes you just get get really creative, but really kind of weird about yourself. And so I was on all kinds of medications. My parents thought I was you know, something was wrong. You know, they didn't understand why I couldn't like do good at school and all that. And I think I just inadvertently like got really creative because of all that stuff in my system. And I, I sometimes wonder, like, was all that medication like messing with my head? Like the heart is a two-headed sperm. Like I get what I meant by it. I get what it means, but like, why on earth did I feel the need to <laughs> to like push this this concept? <laughs> and you know, like, modern music is more fun for me in terms of the message and all because I was really really interested in um, the backmasking stuff. Modern music is a is a response to being told rock and roll is evil because. When you're a kid growing up and they show you these like Hell's Bells videos and stuff, they try to show you all these backmasking songs like Led Zeppelin and Queens, um, another one Bites the Dust. They show you all these examples of like how backmasking works and they tell you these songs are satanic. And, oh man, that is so old school. Yeah, like they would show you these examples. And we thought it would be funny to do an album, or I thought it would be funny to do an album where the cover art was loosely based on Goat's Head Soup by Rolling Stones. And I wanted this kind of like farmhouse, pretty kind of like country setting, but also sort of a scary side to it. And the whole thing was like a throwback to like 70s rock albums and stuff. We were fortunate to record that album on Analog, so it even has kind of a, an old school sound to it. We actually did like some of the same backmasking tricks. We were doing this kind of stuff on modern music. The funny thing is the quote we were doing the trick with was Larry Norman, why should the devil have all the good music? <laughs> and if you listen to Karatra Armada and you speed that down, there's a part in the right after the verses where there's like a, like a breakdown and you'll hear like kind of a noise. If you slow that down, you'll hear me talking about that, that Larry Norman quote. That's kind of the fun we were having. It was sort of a throwback. And it was still confrontational in the sense that, you know, it was kind of like a, a response to us Again, growing up in a culture where we weren't allowed to enjoy, you know, heavy metal and hard rock, and we were like, you know, we're gonna make a like a spoof of that, and that's why the end of the album has that kind of spoof heavy metal song. I don't think people got the joke, but that was kind of the point of it. My duty as a human being to be pissed off. In my mind, lives a swine, the ones possessed by demons. My soul has made a covenant, but it's all stopped by darkness. Shut up! 
So you're saying now that you're getting old and you're maturing. Well, I'm about to be a father. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And um, I wouldn't say it's like like the sad kind of version of what, what you're saying. It's, it's just I'm a lot more um, cautious about myself being the center of attention. Like with Tantrum the Muse, there was a lot of feeding off of that energy. And I went through a phase where I got so heavily involved in studying like theology because it was so new to me rediscovering church and stuff I sort of felt uncomfortable putting myself in front of anything and I kind of got a little too deep into that and I was like how do I even play a concert without having an image of it's this is about me this is about myself and and then I sort of had to calm down and go like dude it's okay to just like rock and not worry about it and like just have fun and entertain and like so you know I'm definitely I'm a different person than the tantrum days Stephen Sarrow is here with The Antidote. Stephen, we spent quite a bit of time talking about Tantrum of the Muse, but now you have your new project. You have Unteachers. And what, you started the band in what, 07? Yeah, that's probably right. We ha- I had some members, good musicians, and we we played for about a year, I would say. We just, I don't know, we I'm all traveling a lot, and traveling has always become like the bane of my existence ever since the end of the Tantrum of the Muse. And then as you get older and as, you know, music, it becomes more of a, a thing you do as an artistic thing and not as a, I need to make it in the business thing. You have to have a job, have other priorities, you know, family and church and that sort of thing. 2007, I came in with um, a couple new songs that we, we rehearsed. The idea was that teachers would be kind of like just a continuation of what, at least musically, Tantrum of the Muse was. So I still wanted to play that kind of sound and those kind of songs, the heavy sort of, the way the, the bass is distorted with the guitars and that kind of element we brought um, and the progressive drumming and stuff. That was still interesting to me. But I don't want to call it Tantrum Muse because it's kind of insulting to the people who was in that band because that was like a, its own sort of thing. And so on Teachers became that. It was sort of a, like a big brother to Tantrum Muse. You know, it was me taking my inspiration and my song structuring and just changing the name and we're going to play new songs we're going to play the old songs the tantrum songs and that was the thinking in 2007 and we did three new ones and three old ones we re-recorded them that band split that version of the band when this would all break up i would get really discouraged and i would kind of feel like music's over and i get like i go through a hissy fit period (laughs) and then just kind of get too frustrated to care and and get really involved in other things 2010, uh, I dusted off the three songs, and I called my cousin Travis Turner, who played in Alathian and Crutch. He's a great drummer. He and I started working on the songs I had written, so we started hashing them out. And then his buddy Josh was a bass player that he and he and Travis had just sort of played together. But he said, you know, I think Josh will fit in. We gave Josh some demos and said, can you learn these songs? And he did. So he kind of struggled to adjust to it, but I, th- I think it worked out. But then again, the distance thing hit us again, and it's just the worst time trying to have a fully functioning band. Yeah, Unteachers had a really strange history. It's it's up and down. The story behind this whole album and how we got it done and the crazy adventure we were through is something I could put into a book, and people would probably enjoy reading it because it's ridiculous. <laughs> With this new album, I really wanted to focus on the lyrical point you know, the message that was involved. And it kind of gives people an impression that it's very unlike Tantrum of the Muse. But a lot of the things that are on my mind now 
are, not, I wouldn't say confrontational, but there's an anger and there's a there's kind of a need to get some more of a daily perspective lyrical approach as, as opposed to a theologically heavy uh, concept, which was a human comedy. You know, there's there are still songs that are personal, songs that are about like, you know, things you're struggling with, um, physical pain, uh, anger. Even though we understand God's in control and he understands our suffering and all that, we still have suffering. So the suffering still plays a part in the songwriting, the art. Our music doesn't have to necessarily make people feel like some kind of major spiritual awakening or something. But I do strive for that. When I make music, I want people to feel like something real and something uncomfortable even.
so you spent basically almost four years working on just going to be an unteacher's debut album, The Human Comedy. Yeah. The album is a is like a two-part thing. If you listen to it quite literally, like when you flip the record over, it, it feels like a different album. And that was on purpose. And the point of it was lyrically, it builds into a breaking point, And then there's kind of a different vibe. So what we originally thought would be cool was to make two EPs. So that's what we were focusing on from 2010 till uh, we ran into Jesse at Veritas. And I don't know, I can't even remember. I think that was 2012. But um, we, we were working on the EP, and the plan was to release that. Then when we met Jesse, he offered to put an album out. So then we got excited because we were like, wow, all of the work we were going to do with the EP to make the other half <laughs> – now we don't have to do all that. We can just go in and record a cohesive one album and turn it into Jesse, and, and that was all we had to worry about. So then again, we started from ground zero, and we were like, we got to get the second half prepared. And this is why things took so long. Um, our buddy Brad Jacob, he's a, he has a home studio, and it's just a really awesome one, and he volunteered to record this thing for us. And so everything was done with a DIY budget and uh, you know a zero budget, <laughs> and then we had finished the music and we had sent it to get professionally mastered. And by then, we could not figure out how to pull it off because of the lack of time and the distance that we had. Uh, we just couldn't work enough. And if you listen to the album, it's just just tons of stuff going on. So it must have been difficult though, having all that process that way so you must have found it frustrating oh yeah it was heartbreaking because but i really do truly feel like this is above and beyond anything i've ever made and i think if you sit and compare the quality and the song writing and i think this is really like the one album i kind of wish i had the support behind for the like the tantrum albums like it was so easy then you know and it was like i always say we had this like huge opportunity wasted on a on a time of our lives where we couldn't even deal with it you know and it was like giving an automatic weapon to a child you have this (laughs) great big gift you can use and this could do something huge with it but you're going to just you know destroy it now we're at a place where we really truly can appreciate what people like chad from takehold had done for us there and jesse has been amazing and and offering to do this and taking such a huge risk on a band that is constantly losing drummers, constantly losing bass players. And the fact that we managed to still hold the integrity of the final product, you know, professionally remastered and pressed on vinyl is like a really big deal. Yeah. 
Another one that I really enjoy is Cusp. Yeah. I mean, that's one of my favorites on the human oh, yeah. comedy. It's one of my favorites, too. <laughs> well, good. How, well, then, since it's a favorite of yours, how about walking us through it? Sure. Um, Cusp is, is the lyrical breaking point. Um, I would say when it gets to the, to the part of the song where it mellows out in the beginning, the middle, and the lyrics start talking about finding someone you can use this song however it interprets to you, you know, but for me, it was, um, in my life at the time I wrote that I, two things happened. I met and married my best friend and I also discovered Jesus for who he really is. The gospel message finally made sense to me and I could see where I could fit in. And so the anger in the beginning of the song is kind of that last bit of, the tantrum spirit of the album, if you will. <laughs> and then the breaking point is like, you know, I found what I'm looking for. I found both in the physical sense, I have this person who will walk through this journey with me. And that's kind of what the, the middle midsection is. And then uh, at the end of the song, when I'm singing about eating my words, that's a, in a reference to saying, you know what, I was wrong. For all of this anger I spewed out, all of this fear and anxiety and death and doubt, I finally realized, like, God really is in control. Like, and the reason we call the song Cusp is because it's kind of like the cusp of the breaking point. Yeah, You're on yeah. the brink. Yeah, exactly. So it's a better, more accurate version. The song is kind of like, um, if you can literally picture, like, a curtain close. <laughs> okay. And, and, You'll see the album artwork, and it'll kind of maybe come together, the, the human comedy concept. But if there's a curtain close on the album, it's that song. And I, I kind of envision, like, Pink Floyd's The Wall in the sense that they build a wall. If you've ever seen that, the tour yes. of the wall where they built the wall, mm-hmm. and there was a, an intermission, and then their show started again. And when the show started a second time, there was a different vibe. And the vibe was kind of like, now we're this, like, disconnected thing and with our album when you flip the record over and you start the new side there's a sense of peace and and, and a confidence there's a real confidence on the other side and that's kind of what the vibe is supposed to be like when you flip that record over you get a a different sense of is going on it's a very i would say it's not it's a very simple concept it's just like a backwards wall you know (laughs) but it was you know it was carefully constructed and I'm, i'm happy at how it how it turned out
The human comedy ends with death has been swallowed, but mm-hmm. were you intentionally trying to offer a light at the end of the tunnel? Yes. I, I wanted to have a complete contrast to As Bright as Black. As Bright as Black is constantly doubting and constantly questioning and fearing, and then death has been swallowed is the culmination of just saying, like, you know what? There is no more death in Christ. You know, we deal with death in a in a physical sense, but in Christ, we are set free of that. And death has been swallowed um, was so important to us because when we were making the album, when Travis and I started, everything that came from that was um, he had lost his father, my Uncle Cliff. He passed away. And he lost his dad during this whole makings. And so he wanted to get across as a Christian. You know, death is a huge theme, but you know, there's hope in Christ. Like we had like really intense, tearful conversations about like that song and being like, how do we write a song where when people hear it, 
they say, you know what? Not only do these guys believe what they're saying, but they really, really believe it. Like they feel it, and they want me to feel it. And like, of course, you fall short. You you, you have this grand vision of it's going to be this like hammer over someone's face of a message. But at the end of the day, it's a song, and there's lyrics, and you got to make the song fit. And I think we did a pretty good job of just like of presenting gospel truth, like purely like no more of us in the picture. Now it's Christ in the picture. And you're hearing the words coming out of my mouth that I truly believe that I'm set free of this fear if I stay on this path. And so death has been swallowed. It's literally just about like letting go and, and letting God have the full glory and allowing that, that truth to like overflow in you. So I hope that's what people pick up from it.
question. That's one of the best albums of the year on Teachers with their new album, A Human Comedy, which is now out on both vinyl and digital from VeritasVinyl.net. But there's even bigger news, and that's that Steven Sarrow is a new daddy. Baby Alice arrived on October 29th, so congratulations to the new mom and dad. But if you want to hear more about on Teachers and Tantrum of the Muse, head over to theantidoteradio.com and you can hear the complete interview with Stephen Sorrow. Next Wednesday at 9, legendary lyricist and frontman of Project 86, Andrew Schwab, comes on The Antidote to discuss what may be P86's newest and perhaps greatest album, Knives to the Future, which is releasing November 11th. But for now, it's time to finish up our talk with Unteachers, and we'll see you again next week. In the last while, I've spent a lot of time listening to the music of Unteachers and Tantrum of the Muse, but I'm still trying to figure out, Stephen, like, are you a rebel, a troublemaker, or a prophet? (laughs) (laughs) You get to choose one of those. Uh, What are the choices again? (laughs) (laughs) Whether you're a rebel, a troublemaker, or a prophet. I'm a troublemaker. It's the most unpretentious thing I can say. I'm a troublemaker. (laughs) I'm definitely not a prophet. (laughs) Before we close off, how do listeners find the music of Unteachers? Well, we do have a Facebook fan page, Mm -hmm. facebook.com slash unteachers. We also have unteachers.bandcamp.com where they can get uh, various uh, recordings, um, MP3s, some physical merch. And I have on teachers.storeandv.com is where they can get like shirts and stuff like that and merchandise. And, you know, this album's being funded by myself and Veritas. So, oh, VeritasVinyl.net. <laughs> He's going to kill me that I almost, almost forgot that. <laughs> uh, VeritasVinyl.net is where you can get the album. And the album is really cheaply available. I think he's selling it for $12 right now. But only of the highest quality. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> On three different colored records, which is crazy. He's selling the record for pre-order it for $12. I say this to everyone who asks about the, the label because it's so important to know that like there are people out there who care about music and care about Christians making music. And Veritas Vinyl is kind of like a diamond in the rough. It's just like completely rare. So I really encourage people to to go to that site and support it as much as they can. Stephen, it's been great having you on The Antidote. And thanks for sharing about Unteachers and best of luck with the new album, The Human Comedy. Thank you very much for having me. It was really, really fun. And I'm just really excited to talk about it. And uh, I really appreciate all the support. 